The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Are you a healthcare professional looking to translate psychedelic research into practice? Then register for Psychedelic Harm Reduction and Integration, a professional training offered by psychologist Elizabeth Nielsen and Ingmar Gorman at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Earn 12 continuing education credits as you discover how to better support clients who have an interest in psychedelics. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Radiate Wellness Podcast with your host, metaphysician, Reiki master, and hypnotherapist, Christy Clemens Hoffman. Each week, we will discover teachings, tips, and tools to radiate your best life ever with practitioners, authors, and luminaries to help you on your path. Wellness, joy, peace, abundance. What do you want to radiate? Hi, and welcome back to the Radiate Wellness Podcast. Today, we radiate the journey home with J.M. DuBord, who is the author of Nightmares, your guide to interpreting your darkest dreams. This is going to be fun. Hello. Actually, you go by Jason? Jason. Yeah, J.M. on my books, Jason. And more people know me as Rat Owl at Reddit than (laughs) they know me by my books or my, you know, because Rat Owl reaches millions or Reddit reaches millions of people, and yeah. I've been known by Radal there since 2009. And it's even like on one of my books, they put like a little sticker on it that said <laughs> "By Radal at Reddit," you know. So <laughs> it's kind of a cool online um, nickname that has kind of stuck with me. So, oh, that's kind of fun. Where'd that come from? Um, <laughs> I uh, a friend of mine needed to remember my phone number back in the day, and. He, um, the first six digits of my phone number spelled out sad owl. And I was like, I am not a sad owl. So I looked at it and I saw, well, R is next to S and that works for the abbreviation, you know, to the little memory trick. Um, and I figured out that rad, you know, there's the owl side, you know, I identify with it because very knowledgeable, maybe wise, um, and then there's the radical side, which I, um, I've i always embraced. I try to think outside of the box. Um, and uh, so in Rad, Rad has kind of a fun, you know, uh, uh, cast to it. So I'm the Rad Owl. <laughs> well, I should say you're also the Night Owl because I just heard you last night on George Norrie. On yeah, Coast. Coast. Yeah. It was, we were up until uh, past three o'clock in the morning. Um, So, um, but yeah, I did two hours with them. It was my third appearance on Coast to Coast and they, I'm very appreciative of them because when my first book came out, they were the first major media outlet to interview me. And 
it gave me instant credibility as a dream expert. Um, when George Norrie says, you know, Jason is one heck of a dream interpreter, you know, like it carried some weight with it and uh, which carried over to other media outlets that then wanted to interview me. And once it got the ball rolling, then, you know, so I'll give some credit to George and the people at Coast to Coast for <laughs> helping to launch my career. <laughs> oh, and you've written four books on dreams and dream interpretation. Yeah, since 2013. Um, and I have two more coming, uh, very large books. Uh, um, I So I started with Dreams 123, which is a process of dream work from remembering to interpreting to living your dreams, which is the part of the equation that a lot of people forget. And the psychic Edgar Casey, who was also one heck of a dream interpreter, um, said is the most important part of it. If you're going to interpret dreams, then let's do something actionable with it. So live your dreams is the third step in the process. And then I wrote a dream dictionary, but I wanted to kind of turn it on its head. Instead of the standard formula, I wanted to teach people how to figure out the symbols for themselves, but starting from a baseline of like, you dream about a cat. Well, what could it mean? You know, like, well, the cat could mean a whole bunch of different things if you put it into context. So I started with the standard sort of, you know, a cat is affectionate, it's independent, sometimes it can turn on you and, you know, cat fight and ideas like that. But then I teach in the dream dictionary how to decode the symbols for yourselves or for yourself. Um, I have a crash course in dream interpretation called Rat Owl's Crash Course. Um, and then there's the Nightmares book. So, yeah, four and counting. Um, been very fortunate. Yeah, yeah. And dreams are something that is so universal. Everyone has them. Everyone is mystified that, by them. We all have certain themes that show up that we'd like to understand. How did you get started with dream interpretation? Yeah, thank you for asking that because it gives me a chance to mention my mentor, Larry Pesavento. Okay, so go back to uh, the early 1990s and Jason is in college at the University of Cincinnati. I'm pursuing political science and journalism as my course of study. Um, and I'm getting around to about year three and a half and I'm really losing steam. And I'm finding that there were a lot of things from my past that were coming up and asking me for resolution because I kind of left my teenage years behind me with a blood trail to follow. And uh, the in a figurative metaphorical sense, of course, um, and uh, my I ended up in the office after synchronicity of synchronicities happened to lead me to the office of Larry Pesavento who basically said, Jason, I am, you know, I can give you advice for how to live your life, but I would rather lead you to your own advice that comes through your dreams. So we started in the dream work and it was an instant, like just like the missing piece clicked into place for me um, because of dream work and specifically the um, teachings of Carl Jung. Um, so my mentor took me on a guided journey through all that literature and then how to apply it to like I would bring my dreams to him and he would help me to decode them and then do that critical step of how to apply what you learn to for the benefit of not just your life, but people close with you, too. You know, when you improve yourself as a person and realize the dynamics of how you interact in relationships and stuff, it has a lot of benefit for 
um, the people who are closest to you, and I suppose probably the world in general too. So that got the ball rolling, and it's been 30 years since then, and I've continued studying all the methods of dream work, the schools of thought behind it, starting with the classics, your Freuds and Jungs and Adlers, and then working all the way up into the modern day understanding, taking the science and also the art behind dream interpretation, because it's, I tell people it's a lot like interpreting and like an artist's image um, or interpreting what a poet meant. Like you, there's things about dream interpretation that will never be rational and scientific, and we shouldn't expect it to be. So I've tried to marry the two of them together. And then what got me started was my mentor, Larry. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, so your your current book, Nightmares, Your Guide to Interpreting Your Darkest Dreams. Why Why do we have nightmares? What is their purpose? Usually it's because there's a message that's trying to get to you and your dreaming mind is probably already tried to use gentler methods to get the message across ordinary dreams. And then um, when things when you don't get the message in the situation that needs to be fixed or addressed or the question that needs to be answered continues without resolution then the night the dreaming mind starts to turn up the juice and uh it can reach the level of nightmare um to be able it's like shock therapy in a way um or you know if someone needs to shout to get your attention because you're not listening it's the same sort of idea a nightmare is produced by the same process that produces dreams it's just that the underlying content has more um, emotional affect um, it's more deeply felt uh, sometimes it reflects the fact that the situation is maybe particularly urgent a message needs to get across i find this um, in dreams that involve health uh, you have might, might have a prodromal dream that's trying to warn you of something where you're headed and it's towards illness or disease or something and the dream is trying to give you a warning of it so it will really shock the pants off of you mm -hmm. um but then again lots of dreams that seem to be about health like say dreams about cancer which i write about in the book yeah. oftentimes have nothing to do with literal cancer it's more like, like the idea that something is eating at you so the the nightmare is really just a dream. Let's just say that it's like a dream on steroids or the volume is cranked to 11. And the reason why it has to do that is because someone's not getting the message. So, okay, this to me, this just begs the question, who's trying to get the message to you? Oh, <laughs> uh, this is where we get back to radiating the journey home because um, home in a dream as thomas moore um says he's the the famous uh, sort of caretaker and teacher of the of the path of the soul he says that the dream is uh, a place that feels more like home than our material reality and that our spiritual origins are in the dream when you enter into the dream space you're actually getting closer to where your spiritual origins are and you're also kind of drifting away from your physical space because you're dreaming you're inside of your own mind and your body is shut is not shut down um it's still speaking to you in your dreams but 
you're able to go into a space where you basically you're communicating with spirit um, in the sense of that origin where we come from as people. But there is something that's there that's waiting for us too. I mean, people who have powerful dreams can attest to the fact that there is an intelligent source behind the scenes that is engaging with you in the dream space. You may not engage with it, but it is engaging with you. And what it is, I mean, I I would fall back on what Edgar Casey said with a lot of things that I can't explain personally because I can't say for absolute sure um, what it is. I fall back on Casey and he said that we're interacting with God. Um, but I keep it simpler for my students. You know, I, I teach dream interpretation. And when I come out and start talking about this stuff to a mixed audience, um, I can lose people very quickly, especially the ones who were um, caught in the um, materialist paradigm. And what I just say is it's the unconscious mind. Now, I say just the unconscious, and anybody out there that knows what the unconscious is is probably laughing right now, because the unconscious is, um, could be, it, it seems to be plugged into the fabric of the universe itself, um, and that dreams are sort of a mutable interface between you and it. You're you're actually reaching out in the dream space into the um the greater reality that our consciousness exists within. Um, so uh, when I say the unconscious is what's producing dreams, it's what's meeting us in the dream space. You're really talking about something that is older than humanity itself and maybe as old as the universe itself and possesses the same intelligence and awareness of whatever it is that created this universe. So um, it the answer is pretty broad. <laughs> Well, I'm so glad that you you went into that because I really feel and I, you know, from what I've seen and read and, and heard that we're in and out of the body all night and into that fabric of the universe that you yes. describe. Well, right? I can give you two really interesting things about that subject. Um, one is, is that when we... Um, when we leave the body in while sleeping, uh, it is the classic kind of out-of-body experience. Um, Casey said that it happens nightly. And Bob Monroe studied this in his sleep lab. Anyone who knows Bob Monroe, the journeys out of body and the other books he wrote, famous teacher of um of astral uh projection. Founder uh, of the Monroe Institute. Yes, and founder of the Monroe Institute. Um, and um, he said that he found in his sleep studies that it happens during the Delta stage. And he knows that because they had him hooked up to the equipment and he knew when he was out of body and he was able to say when that was occurring while he was sleeping. And then they went back and referred to the EKGs and brains, you know, this stuff, the equipment they had him hooked up to. And they could tell that it was happening during the Delta stage. Oh it used goodness. to be believed that during Delta stage that this was um, there was a dreamless state, but it turns out that you really are having dream experiences while you're in Delta. It's just that they're so deep that the majority of people have no awareness of it. They have no recollection of those dreams mm -hmm. at all. Um, unless they're woken up while they're in Delta, which is the deepest, I call it dead asleep. And yeah. if, 
if you wake me up out of Delta sleep, you're going to get a version of Jason that's like a grumpy bear that's been woken up out of its hibernation too early. Like, I'm going to growl at you because your body is drugged with these very heavy sleep hormones. Um, so your body has receded as far away from your awareness as it ever it is. And I think that's what leads to the uh, out-of-body experience where the soul interacts with the larger consciousness system of which it's a part. Here's the other thing that's kind of mind-blowing. Carl Jung said that if you go to the bottom of the psyche and you keep going, you end up in material reality. And he figured this out with Wolfgang Pauli, who was a, a Nobel uh, laureate uh, physicist. And they worked on, for over 20 years, they worked on the theory of synchronicity and tried to find a marriage between psychology and physics. And what their conclusion was is that the mind that mind is one end of a spectrum from matter and that the psyche is the mutable interface between them. So you can journey in your mind into physical material reality. And that's what I think is happening when you have an out-of-body experience is you're finding a pathway through your own mind to allow your awareness to decouple itself from the physical you so that it can experience the larger um uh, the, the the larger universe out there. But archetypes are a sort of, um, he says that archetypes are a sort of middleman, that when you interface with the archetypes, you're actually there on the backside of the archetype presents an image to you. And on the backside of it is the reality that they originate from, which is outside of space-time. Mm-hmm. So it's outside of material reality as we know it. We are interacting in our dreams and deep down in our psyche, whether dreaming or not, the archetypes are the foundational layer of the psyche. When we interact with the archetypes, we're actually interacting with something that originates outside of our material reality. Um, and so I have a Nobel, I have one of the greatest thinkers in psychology to ever live, Carl Jung. And I have Wolfgang Pauli, one of the greatest physicists to ever live, who collaborated for 20 years and came up with this. So I feel like I'm on pretty good ground when I present this as their ideas, but that I subscribe to because my experience and kind of understanding what it's like to be out of body um, and having done the Gateway and the Monroe series, you know, having worked on that and having had experiences of deep mind you know, hooking up into the larger consciousness system, I can say that I think that they were right. Um, but you have to find out for yourself. <laughs> so these these archetypes, yes, I I believe that they originate outside of us, but I mean they're they're very real and they're very universal. And so I'm just wondering where that originates and I mean, do we just innately plug into them? Well, innately, because they're part of us at the foundational level of who we are. Um, once you understand what archetypes really are, you, you, you realize that there is something deep down inside of you that is entirely non-rational and looks a heck of a lot like a living myth. 
a landscape inside of you in your deep interior that is like a live it's a, it's a living myth it's a a place where these things take shape and form that are um uh very different than what most of us experience in our material physical reality and yet these this is the foundation of the psyche if you delve into jung's red book which was his chronicle of his exploration of the unconscious you find that in his journeys deep down into himself he started encountering these archetypal imagery images and personalities that were independent of him and had their own awareness point of view intelligence personality and agenda so you think that your interior world is entirely yours and that uh, there's nothing that's a part of it that comes from outside of you there's an inner world there's an outer world and there's a hard barrier between them but it turns out that this isn't true and Jung, Jung and others who've explored you know deeply explored consciousness um, and the unconscious mind and the psyche have found out that there really is something deep down inside of us that is entirely non-rational and also hooks us up into the larger kind of universe out there. Um, I've ex I relate it to the theories of David Bohm, who is a physicist, who um, he came up with something called the implicate and explicate order. Um, what he said the implicate is is a a uh, a universal it's like a blueprint for physical reality that exists on the outer boundaries of the universe and it's information so the information for everything that's experienced inside of the universe is written on the wall on the outside of it but it's in a two-dimensional space we can't we we would never be able to send a spaceship to the end of the universe and actually see the implicate but what we can interact with is the explicate, which he says is the unfolding of what is inside of the implicate. So the implicate to me is where the archetypes originate from. They are fields of information that originate outside of space-time as we know it. Um, so when we interact with them, doesn't that start to sound a lot like interacting with God? Yeah. something that's beyond ordinary reality that we interact with in a way that's meaningful and but we can't yeah. put our finger on exactly what it is right we think of these archetypes as being so uniquely human but they're really not i mean it, when you when you pull it out to that the level that you're talking about that when we're interacting with something that is beyond humanity yeah uh, and and is interacting not just with us but with everything in the universe exactly you know, because we are certainly not alone in the universe <laughs> <laughs> i'm glad we've busted that myth you know <laughs> how many how many centuries did it take you know, for, for, for humanity to get over itself at least western humanity if you go outside of our cultural paradigm oh, you find yeah. in other paradigms that they've accepted this larger reality um as as a given they'd be like right. Does a fish question the water that it swims in? Do we question the air that we breathe? They're like, no, this is just a fact of existence that we are part of this larger system and that there's a heck of a lot more life out there than just us. But, you know, humans have had this, we gotta be special thing going for a long time. And 
probably originates from that thing we call the ego, which doesn't realize that it's part of a, a collective, uh, even inside of your own mind. The ego is a small player in a much bigger cast of characters. Um, and accepting that, I think, is one of the first ways of finding your journey home to bring this kind of full circle That's back true. there. Yeah. Because the home that you originate from as a conscious being is inhabited also by the types of characters that are in your dreams. Um, right. Some of them are kind of conventional and knowable as kind of actors in a story and they're symbolic, they're walking, talking symbols. Um, I was well, something I use in my courses on teaching dream characters to give people a conceptual framework for understanding what dream characters are. And then I turn around and I blow their mind with some of this stuff that we're talking about now. And I go, guess what? Some of these characters that you interact with are actually part of a larger cast of characters that exist independently of you, even though you interact with them in your own mind and in your dreams. And when you are there with them, I mean, home is where what makes home special is the people who join us there. And in a way, when you enter into your dreams and you interact with those characters, you're interacting with your family and the, the and a good and the home that is more like the ideal, no matter what you experienced as your reality, the home that you experience in your dreams is more of the ideal that you would like to live because when you go into your dreams, do you always feel like you belong? The, the, home, the dream is a home for you. Right. Um, it's maybe not in every dream, but I had a lucid dream once where I, I realized I was lucid and I just kind of said, I want to exist in this place for as long as I can and look around and experience it, which didn't last very long. Cause as soon as you realize you're lucid, you're like, ah, you know, <laughs> um, but I, I reached out from the dream and I touched the surface of it. Like I could, I could feel it as an energy and I touched it and it made me feel more at peace and at home. And like, I belonged there that there was a place that was made specifically for me and the unique being that I am and that I was in that place. And it, I said to myself, I want to bring this into my waking life, more of this into my waking life. I made a note. I said, I have to remember this when I wake up. I have to remember what this feels like. And the reason why is because it felt right. You know, it felt like home. Yeah. And I would like for people who enter into the dream work journey to know that I, to at least consider that what they're really doing by working with their dreams is they're trying to find their way back to the home where they belong to. Right. And to make some sort of sense out of everything we're experiencing here so that we can bring that information back home. Very interesting. Back to our waking, back to the home in our waking lives too. Well, that's true. Yeah. Okay. So what happened with this? So you set the intention. Yeah. So you set the intention that you would take that, this, this place, this feeling, this, this energy that you encountered in this lucid dream, you set the intention you're going to bring it back home. What happened with that? Well, um, I, it took a lot of work for me to, um, remind myself of that as frequently as possible yeah. in fact I, I bring it up a lot in these interviews because i'm also i'm speaking it to you and your and our and the viewers 
Right. Excuse me. But I'm also reminding myself that um, of this fact of what I experienced in my dream life and um, that the more I do that, the more that the feeling becomes part of my reality of material existence, that my 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 existence as um, a being in this physical place um, where I'm simultaneously here, but I'm connected to home. And um, I want that home to be able to communicate to me through my intuition and my feelings. Even if I don't always consciously realize what I'm doing, the, the, that's where the information is coming in. Kind of like the download I received just before we started recording. I'm like, why is my ear ringing? Ah, okay, you're downloading something. All right, let's just clear the mind, let it come in. Okay. Um, but that's that. That's the connection to home. Home decided to right. open up the communication channel and tell me what I needed to know going into this interview. So right. it's it takes a lot of reminding of yourself, though, because our training to be able to exist in this physical space um, makes us discount these kinds of intuitive feelings and the other sorts of messages that come to us from home um, because they don't seem to be very useful most of the time. Um, <laughs> you find out that it actually is. But you have to you have to retrain your own mind by continuing to bring your attention back to like I did with that feeling of home and remembering that dream yeah. there. I felt connected to home, even being able to reach out and touch the fabric of what it was that I was inside of in the dream space and realizing that I was in an actual energetic space that was wow. kind of absorbing into me in a way. So. Yeah, that was a special dream. I can imagine so much more that it was what we call a lucid dream where you really felt that you were aware in a like heightened type of way. Do you do you experience lucid dreams? Um very rarely. How can we experience it more? Well, it's it start the the times that I've been able to experience it on a more regular basis has been when I gave it a lot of attention. Um, I, if I could go into the other room here, I won't do it now, but um, I have a silver coin that I keep by my bedside and I also put it into my pocket. It's a real silver dollar. Um, and um, I, it's my, um, it, it's sort of my token to ask myself, am I dreaming right now or am I awake or am I dreaming or am I awake? And what it does is it helps you to differentiate one reality from the other um, so that when I'm in a dream, I can have something that will trigger my awareness of the fact that I'm in a dream and this is not ordinary consciousness. I also do a regular exercise of tracing my memory back to what led me to right here and now. Yes. So there was, okay, there was a memory before we came on the air. I realized we were going to be on Zoom and I was unshowered. So I quickly put on a shirt and combed my hair and, you know, did all that to, you know, and then I'm like, what, what did I do before then? Well, I was talking with my partner and I was making a cup of tea. You know, what was I doing before then? I was working on my computer and um, I had opened up the file for the book that I've been working on. So I'm able to consciously follow, trace that back. But if you're dreaming, you often won't realize when you ask yourself that how you got to here and now. You go, 
well, wait a minute, I'm here and I'm, you know, standing out in the middle of this field. Well, how did I get here? You know, so you st if you start asking rational questions like, well, where's my car? You know, like if I got in the middle of a field, I must have driven here. I didn't teleport. Right. And you'll start to realize that you're dreaming because you can't trace the memory chain back. To, you know, there comes a point where you just like, I just kind of appeared in this space. It must mean that I'm in a dream. So it's basically it's the attention that you give to it and the desire. Remind yourself before going to sleep that you're going to sleep. This is a good practice to be in anyway. Ooh, but yes. It's like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to be dreaming next. That means the next things that I see in my mind, uh, the next things I experience, it's, I'm going to be seeing it in my mind, but it's going to be as if I'm seeing it through my eyes, but it, it must be a dream because I just went to sleep. If I can trace my memory back, oops, <laughs> what was the last thing that I did? Well, I went to sleep. Um, the battery may have just given out on this. That would be good timing. Um, so oh. lucid dreaming is not the easiest thing to do. Um, it, here, we'll put this back here. There we go. Um, and so if people, it takes, uh, for some people, it comes naturally. And for some people, it takes a heck of a lot of practice. And um, I'm not a natural at it. Uh, I have some friends of mine, like my co-host on the Dreams That Shape Us podcast, Steve. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, Steve is a natural lucid dreamer, but even he will tell you that he, like he's a young father. He's just had a second child and he ain't doing much lucid dreaming right now. Yeah, the battery's giving out on that. So sorry. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> I know. Um, so right um, that's that's the way you can lucid dream um on my channel on youtube um it's um radal my is my channel name i did an interview with steve rogat who's a longtime shamanic practitioner and we did a two-part series on lucid dreaming and we don't really talk about the standard techniques that you find in the videos and books and stuff that people put out on lucid dreaming what he talks about is that it's a lucid awareness of yourself and your life at all times. Um, and the ability to be able to respond, like response ability. It's the ability to respond. And that carries over when you do it in your waking life, it carries over in your dream life because you're not responding unconsciously anymore. As we do in most dreams, you can respond with a higher level of awareness. So um, that's, that's, I think that is a good primer uh, foundation for anyone who wants to learn how to lucid dream, including you. Oh, yes, I would love to. The, the handful of times that has happened were fascinating and so much fun. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's good to have a script ready to go. Um, mm. The last time I really went through a, a, like, have in your mind what you want to do when you become lucid. Um, because you can very quickly phase out of that level of awareness and back into ordinary dreaming, unless you do, unless you decide you're going to do something right away. And what I found was I love flying and dreams. And, um, the last time I was lucid, the dream said, okay, we'll let you fly. And I was in a, I was in a, a reclining lounge chair and I was flying through the air feet first, <laughs> like <laughs> going up and down and around. 
And I was flying through my backyard like the hummingbirds I've got back there. I've got a almost like a hummingbird sanctuary in my backyard. And I wasn't that fast as them, but I was flying around kind of in that space, but on a big wow. brown leather lounge chair with my feet up and everything. Like, yeah. So, cool. <laughs> so always um, uh, allow the dream um, some space to take creative license with whatever experience it produces for you. Uh, but That's... have something in mind that you would like to experience as a starting point. You know, I have been lately um, just setting the intention and giving permission for dreams to go where they will and just really consciously and intentionally trying to dream. And it's been working really well, I have to say. Now, I, I do encounter a lot of people who just say, I don't dream. I never remember my dreams. Yeah. Yeah. But we all do, don't we? Yeah, you dream. Um, it is a it's a biological necessity. Um, there are some cases where they've shown that people didn't dream, and it's usually because they had a brain disease or they had brain damage. Um, it damaged the some part of the brain that is critical for producing the dream experience. Um, but yes, you are dreaming every night. Um, and if you sleep for eight hours, you're spending about two hours in REM stage dreaming, which is the most vivid and intense dreaming. And you're spending about two hours in non-REM stage dreaming, which tends to be more thought-like um, than experiential. REM dreams are more experiential. Non-REM dreams are more thought-like. Um, and so that's about half the time yeah, that you're asleep, you're actually dreaming. Now, that's a lot of content to remember, and most people will, own, even with really good dream memory, they, they won't remember even half of it. Or, um, But with practice, what I've found is, is that everyone can start remembering at least one dream per night. So here's where it starts. When I have someone, and I've been through this many times, so let's let's walk them through it. Anybody out there who thinks that they're not dreaming let's establish a baseline that you are dreaming and not just because I'm telling you that you're dreaming and not just because the studies and the literature and the sleep studies and the sleep labs and all that, the science says that you're dreaming. It's because when you wake up, ask yourself, did I, do I remember anything that is dreamlike? While the, while I was asleep for the past however many hours, was there anything that I can recall that seems like a dream? I may not remember anything specific, but if you can recall something and you go, there was something happening that it, I bet it was a dream. It kind of feels like it. And now you've established the baseline. You are dreaming. What does that mean? You're not remembering. So what you want to focus on is the remembering side. And I find that setting that intention before you go to sleep, that you're going to be dreaming, that you want to remember what it is that you're, you know, going to, that, that you experienced or will be experiencing is very important. And then first thing, when you wake up, nothing else on your mind, clear to keep your mind clear and just think about what was it? What do I remember from my dreams? Give it that attention. First thing, when you wake up, and I keep a notebook by my side. I've been doing this for 30 years, and it's it's always there. Um, there's a, a spiral notebook with a pen sort of, you know, clipped onto it, and it's there waiting for me. It's right there on my nightstand. I can grab it, and I can go. 
I find that that's really important because dream memory is a special type of memory that is, I call it gossamer. It's spider web-like. It's all interconnected and thready, but very delicate. And as soon as you start forming new memories when you're awake, you are overriding your dream memories. So you want to keep yourself as still and in that uh, gray zone between sleep and awake. You're awake enough to start acting consciously, but you're trying to keep yourself in the sleep and dream frame of mind. Because as soon as you get out of that frame of mind, then those memories become difficult to access. And um, if you do this on a re- and regularly, you make a practice of it. Um, I have found that almost universally, the people who say that they don't dream or that they don't remember their dreams, usually within a short period of time, I'll say maybe two weeks of practice, that they'll start having recall of dreams. They'll be able to write, you know, a paragraph or two or more in their dream journal. And that over a couple of months of doing this, that you'll start remembering two, three, four dreams a night, maybe even more. Yeah, that's a wonderful, like doable type of plan to remember these. Because I think they are important. They're very important. Okay. Well, I think, you know, we would not be doing due diligence if we didn't actually delve into your Nightmares book a little bit more. Nightmares, your guide to interpreting your darkest dreams. So um, in your words, how would you define a the difference between a dream and a nightmare? Mm, that's a good place to start. Mm-hmm. Um the, the the nightmare is a dream that has greater emotional affect. Um, and if you want to get into a clinical definition, one thing that separates a bad dream from a nightmare is a nightmare wakes you up, but a bad dream, you can not, maybe you'll surface a little bit, but you're not going to be like shocked awake like a nightmare does. And, and it's because of the emotional impact of the nightmare. Um, so the same process that produces dreams is producing a nightmare. It's just that the underlying content has greater emotional charge to it. Um, so that, yeah, that's a good place to start of defining what a nightmare is. Are you a healthcare professional looking to translate psychedelic research into practice? Then register for Psychedelic Harm Reduction and Integration, a professional training offered by psychologist Elizabeth Nielsen and Ingmar Gorman at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Earn 12 continuing education credits as you discover how to better support clients who have an interest in psychedelics. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. Hi there. Sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to tell you about a very special event that we have coming up with Radiate Wellness. This is the inner journey, discovering your soul's path, three-day spiritual and metaphysical retreat. This is an immersive experience, March 31st to April 2nd. So it's all inclusive. So that's lodging, meals, snacks, and wonderful workshops. So what are the workshops that we have coming up? 
first, we're going to be doing a sound healing concert with Susan Walter, who's a visionary angel artist and angel communicator who paints beautiful angel portraits. And she'll be leading us in a sound healing concert with crystal bowls. And there will be energy work alongside that sound healing. We're going to be doing a group QHHT session. That is quantum healing hypnosis technique with me, Christy. And we will visit one past life and one potential future life, just to look at the arc of your soul and your soul's purpose. We will also be connecting to your inner self and your intentions for 2023. We'll be doing energy workshops and energy healing workshops. We will do a meditation to meet your angel or angels and learn how to work with them. We will also have a special guest from Switzerland, from Geneva, Switzerland. Mary Jane Stodenman will be joining us to talk about your soul's journey with astrology. So our leaders for this retreat are myself, Christy Clemens Hoffman, Kathy Lesmeister, who's another one of our wonderful practitioners with Radiate Wellness, Susan Walter, who is a Kansas City-based visionary artist and sound bowl enthusiast, as well as Mary Jane Stodenman, Tarot master and astrology uh, teacher in Switzerland. So all of these events are all covered under one price. And there is an early bird special. You can save $100 on this retreat until January 31st, 2023. And then regular registration uh, continues afterward. And again, that will be a, a $100 discount up until January 31st. You can find out more information and register at Radiate Wellness community.com. It's right at the top of the homepage. Hope to see you there. Did you know that Radiate Wellness is more than just a podcast? That's right. We're also a comprehensive holistic wellness practice. Find out about our services, practitioners, and upcoming events at radiatewellnesscommunity.com. While you're there, Visit our podcast page to read more about our great guests and even donate to the podcast. If you like our podcast, you can help in other ways as well, like subscribe or follow us wherever you're listening right now. Tell a friend, a family member, or a coworker about the great content you find here. And if you wouldn't mind, please give us a thumbs up, a five-star rating, or a positive review. Sounds like a small thing, but it really helps. You might like to know about our Facebook communities while we're at it. We have a free community, the Radiate Wellness Community, on Facebook for news and great free content. Our subscribers group is Radiate U, as in the letter U, but also, well, you. There you'll find curated replays of past classes guest interviews, and more. And now, back to our podcast and back to our guest. Yeah. Um, and I know that some people have night terrors. So how do you differentiate those from just a regular nightmare? So the dreaming mind is a translator 
of all input that it receives while that while it's running you're asleep and the dreaming mind is running the dreaming process which is by the way many different parts of your mind are coming together and working in coordination almost identically to the way that your imagination works if you put someone into a cat scan and say imagine a scene where you're walking through a field and you've got your pet dog next to you and you know they they bring in all this imagery they can see all the various parts of their brain firing in coordination and when you're dreaming your brain is basically doing the same thing so it's a very um imaginative uh process but what happens while you're in a night terror is that you're receiving an input from the body that's getting translated into symbolic imagery now this can happen also if i'm digesting that bad hamburger that i ate well don't eat hamburger anymore but um let's just use that as an example or the bad cheese that i ate before going to bed and now i'm dreaming and it's really unsettling because my stomach's going Ugh. and it's getting translated into imagery People have also had this happen when like, like they hear a siren outside and they dream about a war, but it's actually an ambulance going down the road or a fire truck, but they're, they're hearing it, but they're dreaming and it's being translated into symbolic imagery. A nightmare is translating the input it's receiving from emotions and memory and things like that. A night terror is a translation into imagery of the energetic release of trauma that has been um, stored in the nervous system. Yeah. Um, so people who have PTSD um, or let's, I find a lot of people have difficulty with PTSD. So what I say is just who have experienced traumatic stress and didn't heal from it. Um, they didn't shake it off after the experience uh as the, which is the normal reaction after traumatic stress if you have the ability to shake it off then you tend to just go on with your life and everything's okay the same as an animal that after it's been like the lion attacks the gazelle and the gazelle plays dead and it gets away from the lion okay and so that does actually happen sometimes if you observe the animal, it will then, once it knows that it's safe, the first thing it does, like it shakes all that energy off of itself. What if that energy doesn't, what if it doesn't have a chance to let go of that energy? It gets trapped and stored in the nervous system. And then that leads to dysfunction. A night terror is the release of that energy while you're sleeping. And you're, so you're dreaming and it gets translated because that's what the dreaming mind does um, into imagery but it does not have conventional meaning the same way that nightmares and other types of dreams do. There's nothing that you can find in the experience where you can go as a dream interpreter, you can go, this is, we can trace this imagery to its source in you and your life. It doesn't have the same sort of um, relationship through meaning. It's just bloody carnage and violence and gore and terror and it's because it's an energetic experience, which means that the help that you bring to people who have night terrors really needs to work on an energetic level. Um, and also uh, a friend of mine who experienced this, um, it was the one that I was able to use as a sort of um, to find out what this really is, because we would talk about his nightmares and 
I would try to help them get to the source of them. My conventional techniques and understanding were not doing us any good. And I came to understand that what he was experiencing almost nightly as night terrors was an energetic experience from the trauma of living in perpetual fear uh, inside of his own family home, like fear of violent death level of 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 traumatic stress and he uh now it was 30 years removed from that time of his life but this energy was being released from his nervous system night after night so that's what night terrors are um and i do point out in my book the difference between them and explain the processes that are running and why it's an energetic process as opposed to a dream process that's happening as you're as you're experiencing it. That makes perfect sense. <clears throat> perfect sense that the emotion and trauma stored in the body needs to come out in some way, shape or form. Right. right. Now, um, what about sleep paralysis? Um, it's a normal state of affairs as you're dreaming. Really? Um, yes. Uh, when you're when you're dreaming, your um, your brain uses um, a hormone to mute the reactions of the nervous system. It's in the brainstem, um, so that it can mute the limbs specifically, the arms and right. the legs, so that they won't thrash around and act out your your dream content. Although there are people who have parasomnias um, that range everything from like thrashing and kicking their legs. Um, all the way over to like sleepwalking. Um, and they, um, so while when you're in a state of sleep paralysis, it is a, a normal state of affairs, but here's what happens to some people is they wake up and they're still in sleep paralysis. They realize that they can't move and their dreaming mind starts reacting to the input that it's receiving, which for most people is uh, some level of fear, fear. All, ranging all the way over to terror. So depending on the range of what you're experiencing emotionally in response to this fact that you can't move, but you realize you're awake, the imagery, the dreaming mind starts producing imagery based on that, that overlays your waking reality. So there, you know, you're, you wake up, you've opened your eyes, but you're still dreaming. And, um, the, it, 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 and the dreaming imagery is responding to what you're feeling. So if it is fear or terror, then you start getting fearsome and terrifying imagery that appears. A lot of people will dream about, um, like, um, like a demon sitting on their chest. Mm -hmm. um, they'll see shadow figures down by their feet or around their bed or trying to inhabit their body, like possessing them demonically. Um, others will see aliens. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many reports of alien abductions begin with, I was sleeping in my bedroom or wherever, but usually in their bedroom. They wake up, they realize they can't move, and that's when they see the aliens. And the alien is something for them that uh, is an image that reflects their level of fear at that moment. Um, when, you, when you're paralyzed, when you can't move, you realize you're out of control. Mm -hmm. And it feels like there's a force that's holding you down. So that's one reason why dreams will translate it into images of aliens 
because they are the modern manifestation of a sort of archetype of the thing that is very alien to your understanding of what ordinary reality is. They are from some place that is beyond your comprehension, and they have force and power that is beyond your ability to stand up against. So mm-hmm. when we were more religiously oriented, we tended to dream more about devils and demons and stuff because our mythology fed us that imagery um, and those conceptions. Modern days, we're catching more of the alien mythology that is entering into our dreams. And sleep paralysis is a big part of the experience um, because it's also when a it's a mixture of a physical state of being along with the mental state that is dreaming. So very interesting mix of the two. So you don't believe necessarily that there could, we could have alien visitations, for example, during sleep. I just don't think that they would paralyze you and terrify you in your bedroom. Anything that can come through either physically fly from inner through interstellar space. Mm-hmm. We know that we know the challenges of that. Um, or come through interdimensional space to be able to visit us in the three-dimensional plane. Anything that can do that is not going to enter into your bedroom to paralyze you, abduct you, and maybe do tricks on your body. You know, um, there's kind of a meme, a running joke about what the aliens do to you when they probe you, you know? Right. And I go, no, that's not, that doesn't make any sense. You know, if you were, if you were visited by an angel, would it come down to terrorize you? You know, would it abduct you, visit, you know, forcefully against your own will? No. Now, can things from outside of us visit us in our dreams? Yes, yes, they can. Um, but I have never even heard of, let alone experienced something where it came to me in my dream space with bad intent. Okay. Other other than the thing that I talk about in my book, mm-hmm. um, which uh, was something that existed outside of material reality, um that was connected with me generationally and through mm-hmm. trauma generational trauma in my family do you want to talk about that because it if yeah, let's trauma, do let's right. do it's very interesting this requires some explanation okay so when i was a a child i had a dream a nightmare that there was this man following me he was dead but alive covered in scars oozing power and malevolence um kind of like the dark lord from um star wars uh oh. that sort of so that he had that vibe to him even kind of that appearance even though the dream started right when the star wars movies were first coming out so i don't think he'd even made an appearance yet i know i hadn't even seen the movies um and he, the man wanted to claim my soul now at nine years old did i know what a soul is I mean, I'd heard of it, but I didn't know what it was. I just knew it was the most important part of me. And he wanted to claim my soul, which means that the physical me would be dead and he mm-hmm. would have the most important part of me. So, you know, I I didn't quite get away from him. I cowered in fear in the back of a store as the man closed in on me. And thankfully, I woke up at that point. 
Um, and so, you know, like a nightmare, I was, you know, probably crying, maybe had shouted or screamed. Um, I was terrified, but I quickly adjusted to the fact that I was awake now and it was just a dream. Okay. So air quotes there are important because I found out that there was a greater reality to that thing that I experienced. And it continued as I went into my teenage years and into my 20s, where mm -hmm. this man would return in my dreams, in my nightmares. And then I also started feeling him congealing as a presence in physical reality. I could feel his influence. Sometimes I could even hear his voice speak through people who were highly unconscious, um, especially during times when I was really clicking on finding my path in life as um, as a light worker, uh, as a follower of Jesus, um, as a dream worker, and as a heart-based being. Um, there have been a lot of times in my life when I wasn't living from that space. And that was when I was under the influence of this dark thing. He identified himself in the dream as the dark master. That's what he put, capital D, capital M. Right. And one night in a dream, um, after I met my mentor, Larry, and we'd been working together for a few years, and I'd been healing, uh, getting myself together, uh, he appeared in a dream. His minions came to kidnap me. This was kind of a standard scenario. Now there's the minions again. They pull up in the van. They kidnap me off the street. And now I'm under their power. Um, well, I said this time, I said, no, tell me where he is. And we're going to go have the final battle. So I appear in a glass office tower. It's a skyscraper. I'm on the top floor. It's all glass. In the middle of the room is a glass coffin. And he is inside of it. And I think to myself, now is the time to end this. And just all of the rage from what I felt like the pain that he had caused me, um, it all boiled over. And I grabbed hold of his neck and my fingers are sinking into his flesh like it's like dead fish, you know, that had that rubbery sort of feel to it yeah. and cold. And he just looked at me and I could hear him laughing. And it was because he was getting what he wanted, which was for me to feed on my anger. Um, the, I was drawing power from anger the same way that Luke Scott or that Luke, they Darth Vader tries to get Luke Skywalker to feed on his anger because that's, that's, that's the path to the dark side. Um, so um, I, I got a, a, that dream ended with me kind of waking up with my hands gripped around the air but i thought gripping his neck and i realized that i mean that it felt hopeless at that point because mm. i'd been struggling with this man for almost 20 years by then um and i felt like it was more than just a dream figure well so i get into my 30s and i kind of lost my mojo and was trying to find it again and I was seeing someone who had a very deep, intuitive, spiritual sense. Uh, things ended between us. And she said, I think that you're experiencing something that's more than just 
what people experience. This, these aren't just ordinary nightmares. This is not just an ordinary darkness. This is not just ordinary addictive behavior and big ego and stuff like that. You know, she said, I think there's something more to this. And I'd like to refer you to someone who helped me when my husband died and he acted as a medium to communicate between us and help us to, you know, resolve things so that he could move on to the next life. And as crazy as it sounded, I knew right away that I had to do it. So I went to see the the man who he's a shamanic practitioner who was born and raised in Long Island and was one of the funniest, you know, uh, people, uh, just greatest personalities I've ever met in my life. His name is Steve Rogat. And um, he is a creative thought practitioner and energy worker, and he's a shamanic practitioner. And um, I told him my story. And he went up to his guides and he came back and he said, this is something that happened to your family generations ago where a woman in your family uh, stole the husband of another woman from another family. Um, and that woman, in her uh, anger over that, hired a sorcerer, a practitioner of black magic to cast a curse on your family so that the women in your family would marry tragic men. So it was just desserts. Wow. She stole, she stole her husband and she said, now all of the women in your family, when they marry, they're going to marry tragic men. And she had this sorcerer cast a curse. Well, what the guy didn't know when he told that to me is that if you go down the maternal line of my of my family lineage, you'll see a lot of tragic men. And I, uh, so he's starting to speak truths that I hadn't revealed to him. And this continued as we went into the session. He basically said, we can put an end to this and we can do it now. Do you want to do it? And I said, yes. So. Um, he continued speaking truths about my life, my biography, seeing into my dreams, uh, understanding what it was that I experienced uh, because he was seeing it and experiencing it in his own mind. And um, we ended up uh, creating, or we left the body to go into a metaphysical space. And that's where we found the man who was the dark master from my dreams. And I found him as an energetic living entity that the way that it was explained to me afterwards, uh, the best guess we have is that his power, uh, the power that he abused as a sorcerer um, also lingered with him after his body died and it bound him to the power that he used so that he continued performing the role of black magician. And working from behind the scenes to continue enforcing the power of the curse um, against my family, and the he told me the shaman the the shaman told me that it was one of the things that I came into this life to do that I knew before when I made my soul contract that I came into this life to end this thing. And we had a moment after I was able to punch through the barrier and make telepathic contact with him. And I felt him like he was in that glass coffin in the dream 
where he's just oozing this malevolence and hatred. And he's, he, he, we talk telepathically. And the first thing he did was hit me with all of the things that he had done to me and my family to make me hate him. He, I could feel it all in one bundle of just raw nerve of, of wound of tragedy and terror that he had been doing against not just me, but going back generations in my family. And it was to try to get me to hate him. And my mentor had prepared me for that moment by teaching me the power of forgiveness. And I said to the man, I said, in the name of, of, of my, of me and my family, I forgive you now go into the light. And at that moment, I saw this pyramid form around my body. It was four lines of energy that formed around my body. I'm getting chills as I think about that. I felt it form around my body. It was in a metaphysical space, but it was there. And I felt the energy come up from below, from the base, and it Mm. focused to the peak. And at the peak, I could look up and I could see the eye of providence. It was the eye of providence, the single eye that was right there. Well, (laughs) up there somewhere. And it was a presence and it was there. And the shaman said to me, he said, in the dreams, the tornadoes are not after you. They want him because I'd had recurring dreams of tornadoes chasing me and i've encountered other people who've had these same dreams and it's in my book um the of these tornadoes that were they seem like they're they're after you but they're actually after the darkness that's attached to you and the eye when its power activated it sucked it all up off of me and removed the man from the space that he was in and took him into the light and where he is from there, I don't know, but I've tried to contact him again. And um, I think he's in a different state of existence now. So it's I'm not talking to the dark master anymore. When I talk with him, I am I think that I'm talking with a soul that's finally finding its healing. Um, this is what happens to people who abuse their powers in that way. There are powers that you can gain of the mind and of spirit. Um and if you abuse them, then um, the consequences are pretty severe. But you, what I found out is, is that in the end, there's always forgiveness. Right. But it takes it takes someone who was on the receiving end of the damage that you inflicted to forgive you. You know, it's kind of like when I see I'll, I'll see these prison interviews with someone who's like a murderer, and they're like, oh, you know. I'm seeking God's forgiveness and, you know, God will forgive me. And I'm like, well, that's great. But what about the people that you hurt? You know, have you sought forgiveness from them? Because a lot of them, they don't, they try to skip that step. And I'm like, well, if you don't do it in this life, you're going to end up doing it in the next, because whatever that's karma and whatever damage we do in physical existence must be accounted for. Yes. Must be balanced out. Now, which to me begs the question, how do past life experiences show up in the dreamscape? Um, it presupposes the, the the fact of past lives, which I know are real because my dreams led me on a journey into that one. 
Um, mm-hmm. And it's so much a part of my life now that I'm um, one of the moderators of the past lives and then a separate forum at Reddit for reincarnation. I adopted both of those subreddits as a moderator because those communities weren't being led at the time, um, which leads to abuse and just kind oh, of a j- drop off of interest. Right. And stuff. Um, so you need to have somebody who's going to kind of um, babysit them, you know, mm-hmm. gatekeeper. Yeah. So um, and so I've really explored the subject with some depth and um, dreams about past lives first of all, tend to feature um, imagery and other associations with the historical time period that is where you experienced life previously. Now, we start getting into a problem of conceptualization because time, past, present, and future, is all being experienced at at once. So there is no past, present, and future as far as what really reality is. But we seem to be on some kind of a progressive timeline with past lives. So we'll just say past lives, you're in a time period, you're seeing into what it who you were at that time. And you'll have dreams about it that um, show you important moments from that life. Um, I found though that you have to use conventional dream interpretation techniques first to try to interpret those dreams because usually I find that it's the historical aspects are being used for story purposes. The dream is, is creating a scene for you to immerse. It's creating a reality for you to immerse and experience. And if it has for its own reasons, it wants to cast this thing as being in the past, it would be for the same reasons that a movie director would decide that they're going to cast this story. It's going to be in the 1800s instead of in modern day, even though they're telling a modern story. For some reason, they chose to tell the story from a perspective of 150 years ago in the past. So you have to be careful of that. So in my book, though, um, I give usually with past life dreams, there will be also a recurring aspect to it. Um, It'll be a place that you go to over and over again. There was one example that I give, and this was a nightmares because my book is about nightmares. It's not to say that all past life dreams are nightmares, but this is how it played out. The guy dreamed that he was um, a Civil War soldier and... um, the he was a confederate and the northern the union troops had overrun the lines the battle lines and he was out there defending his home you know territory he ran back to he abandoned his post and ran to the home where he where his family lived he gets there in time to see that the union soldiers have set the plantation on fire Mm -hmm. um And that as his family members are running out of the home, they're getting bayoneted. And so he's experiencing this in live technicolor brutality. He said that every night he would have the dream, it would start the same way, except it would kind of truncate the beginning and focus on the scene at the family home, focus on the violence that was inflicted on the family. And focus on him hiding 
in sort of like in the bushes, knowing that he wants to run out and die, but he can't because it won't do any good. He can't stop the carnage. There's too many troops around. If he runs out, he's going to die. It will serve no purpose. So he's experiencing a terrible conflict of wanting to save his family, realizing he can't, and then the guilt of having lived through that. Um, and then, so he said that the dreams would uh, keep truncating the opening scene and focusing on the later scene. And they happened over and over again. And then he turned four years old and they stopped. Four. Interest. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. That's what he, when he, because I was interacting with him at the past live subreddit and talking with him about this. And I kept my, my, I had my dream interpreters hat on and I kept trying to find conventional explanations for this. You know, it's a family home. There's a war going on. Is this putting together to tell a story about some kind of conflict about his family life? Uh, was his home a battleground? Um, was he? Was there something that he felt really guilty about because he wasn't able to rise to the occasion? These are the conventional paths to finding the meaning behind that kind of scenario. That right, right. Usually you find yeah. the meaning. In this case, I didn't find it. And when he said, well, these dreams all happened when I was, you know, between three and a half and four years old, and they stopped when I was around four. And I want, man, kids can have nightmares. I mean, between ages three and six, nightmares oh. are known to start, you know. Um, right. But with that level of complexity, you know, to feel what a soldier is going to feel when he can't save his family to understand that there was this thing that happened long ago called the civil war to know right. that there were these two sides that were the confederacy and the union you know to know that the right. Confederate soldiers towards the end of the war had gotten pulled the lines back and were defending their homeland from the union troops rolling into the south i mean you know, to know that people were getting bayoneted because they wanted to save the gunpowder, you know, like, you know, th that was just way too much for a four-year-old mind to come up with. And right. So I knew that must have been a past life memory. And that's what he believed, too. Sure. And after working through it with him, I came to the conclusion, as I often do at the end of a session with a when I do DreamWork sessions, is... What matters most is what the dreamer pulls away with at that point. Yeah. Whether I believe it or not, or anyone else believes it or not, doesn't matter. It's how they interpret their experience. And yeah, you know, so yeah, that's an example of a past life nightmare. Right. Interesting. And and then about the age of four to maybe seven, excuse me, our memories of past lives um, truly begin to fade. Yeah. We forget. Yeah. Um, it's yeah, usually by, you know, seven or eight years old. That's also, by the way, about, you know, children will tend to experience nightmares. Um, and then they also fade away as we get older and we understand what's, you know, um, what's going on in our lives. We understand how to operate in this physical reality because there's a part of us that remembers what it's like to be home. You know, <laughs> the journey home. Here we go again. Um, the, and so uh, the 
remembering the the past lives also tend to fade into the background as we learn to operate in this physical reality. Um, and that sense of what we, of the place where we came from before we were in this physical reality, um, that sense also tends to fade away. But the beauty of it is, is that we can find it again if we want to. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, one other thing that I did want to talk to you about is your podcast, which sounds wonderful. Can you give a little plug for it? The Dreams That Shape Us with my co-host, Steve Wine. Um, we do in-depth interviews with people to explore the impact that their dreams have on their lives. And it's um, uh, we've shown in many different ways through in-depth, those in-depth stories uh, accompanied with the music that my, um, my uh, co-host custom creates for the, oh, for the show fun. to kind of capture the ambience of what the, per, you know, the whole thing. So it's a really, it's a package deal that we put together. Um, and like to give one example, there was a, a lady who was dreaming about um, an f- old friend of hers as if she was a fly on the wall and she would get bits and pieces of information to find out that like he really did get married. He, they really did have a baby. It really was a girl named Susie Ann. Like she got detail after detail after detail out of her dream space that was perfectly accurate. Um, she had dreams where someone, it was uh, uh, the uh, grandfather who was kind of a, uh, a beloved friend of the family uh, of of one of her grandfather, one of her friends, who was also kind of a father figure for her. When he died, he came to her as a being of light to say, hey, uh, it's time for me to go, but I I appreciate that you were part of my life and shared with my family and stuff. So we have dreams like that. We have uh, ones where people have been pursued by the unconscious and gave them a mission in life. We have ones where dreams have helped people to make decisions about major turning points in their life, leaving a job, getting married, having children, um, moving. These dreams have influenced their lives and shaped their lives in very meaningful sorts of ways. So um, we have about 30 episodes out now, and it's really gaining steam. Like it's, we're really getting a lot of responses from um, people who are hearing it. And now, as soon as we release an episode, we can see the numbers of people who are grabbing that and running with it because they've learned to trust us as uh, storytellers and because we find some really extraordinary people to interview. And it's a lot of fun. So uh, the, lot dr- fun. the dreams that shape us. Yes. And they can, this podcast can be found pretty much um, all the places. Yeah, um, you know, Google, Apple, uh, uh, it's on Anchor FM. If you go to dreamsshapeus.com, um, hmm. it, it has all the stuff from there. The website's still kind of in development, but I have made sure that I put up all the links to be able to find it on the podcasting platforms and stuff like that. So um, it's been a real um, uh, uh, kind of a passion uh, for me and my co-host uh, the way that it all came together, which in our two-year anniversary episode, which was just released, we tell the story of the past two years, and we in, we bring in um, guests who've all been, you know, who were interviewed, who had follow-up with us. Um, there were people who were dream workers who had clients come to them because they heard them on the podcast and realized 
hey, you know, like Catherine Lawson, Dr. Lawson is a trauma specialist. She told the dreams that she had that brought up, helped her recover the memories of early childhood sexual abuse, like Mm. rape, rape level sexual abuse. And then somebody heard her on the podcast and ended up coming to her as for her trauma treatment. Um, So there've been people Mm. who've in a very oddly synchronous sort of way where this podcast is connecting in with the larger, you know, collective consciousness and is becoming a part of it. So we're really, um, we're really proud of that. So thank you for asking. And oh, of course, we'll put it. all links to that in the show notes. And then of course, your website, jamdeboard.com. Yeah. Where you've got, mm-hmm. So use the name you see on the screen, jmdeboardada.com onto the end, and it can lead you to things like my books, um, my teachings, online classes, uh, a lot of material that I have out there to teach dream work in a way that gives people a step-by-step process to follow. In fact, you can go to dreams123.com. So numbers123, dreams123.com. You can go there right now and right there on the front page is a summary of my process of dream interpretation. And then there's a table of contents that leads to about 30 other pages that go through it step by step. It was basically a book that I wrote that I couldn't get published at the time. So I decided I would publish it on the internet. And now I'm rewriting that book and I'm going to re-release it uh, or I'm going to finally release it. But the bones of it are there. And it's if you, if you want to know how to interpret dreams the way that I do it, you want a three-step process to follow. It's all right there at dreams123.com. You know, I had a very interesting dream last night that I think I'm going to head over there to dreams123.com. And <laughs> I, hope, I hope you will and that you will stay in touch via um, email and let me know if it was... Uh, helpful for you here's here's simple fact number one that might help you with this whole process Mm -hmm. you already know what your dreams mean do you know why that's a true statement tell me because you create your dreams true you must know somewhere deep down inside of yourself what your dreams mean because you create them and if you create them then the meaning is there is so that means that dream interpretation is a process of remembering what you already know. Mm-hmm. And when I present this to people in like my workshops and seminars and stuff who are new to dream interpretation, it feels very empowering right off the bat because I'm not trying to tell them that they need to master something that they have no you know, clue about. You know, right. if I came in and I'm like trying to program artificial intelligence software, I don't know how to do that stuff. You know, that would be starting from something that is way outside my scope of knowledge. But if you're trying to remember something that you already know, it makes the process entirely different. And so when you're trying to interpret a dream, understand its meaning, what you're really doing is remembering what you already know. And that forms the basis for everything else that I teach about dream interpretation. That is fantastic. It's just self-discovery, that journey back home. Yes. Love it. Yeah. Full circle. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Thank you so much. This has been really informative. I will definitely stay in touch by email and we should do this again because you have just a wealth of knowledge. Thank you. Thank you. And I love talking about this with you. It gets right into the heart of things I love to talk about. So this has been a very enjoyable conversation. 
I hope that your audience finds it enjoyable and, and informative too. Thank you. I'm sure they will. Radiate Wellness is an international community of holistic and alternative healers dedicated to helping you create spiritual, energetic, and physical well-being. To learn more about our practitioners, services, classes, and events, or to schedule an appointment, visit us at radiatewellnesscommunity.com. I'm Suzanne Giesman, and if you've ever wondered about life after death or if it's possible to connect with a higher consciousness, I invite you to join me for my podcast, Messages of Hope. It's my mission to share with you that our loved ones who have passed are always with us and we are so very loved. I want to teach you how to live a consciously connected and divinely guided life. Listen here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network.